Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Today, we're diving into an alternative vision for how New York State does, well, a lot. Uh, economic policy, fiscal policy, taxing and spending, and much more. How New York State does business is, of course, of the utmost importance as we are talking here in mid-March, just a couple of weeks before a new state budget is due. The April 1st start of the new fiscal year means that probably sometime before April 1st or around April 1st, there will be a new spending plan passed by Governor Hochul and the state legislature in Albany that will probably be roughly in the neighborhood of $215 to $225 billion. The governor's executive budget proposal earlier this year was about $216 billion, and the legislature will probably uh, convince her to add to that. So Today, we're talking about an alternative vision, though, as, as the Democratic governor and the Democratic supermajorities in the state legislature are mostly focused on what kind of spending they will add to the budget plan. We're talking about a different way to potentially do business and how to more broadly think about revitalizing parts of New York state, preventing population loss from the state, which has mostly been occurring for many years outside of New York City, and other pieces of what we're calling here a limited government vision for economic and fiscal policy in New York. So my guest is Peter Warren of the Empire Center for Public Policy, a think tank based in Albany that focuses on state government. It is, according to its website, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank located in Albany with a mission to make New York a better place to live and work by promoting public policy reforms grounded in free market principles, personal responsibility, and the ideals of effective and accountable government. Peter Warren is the organization's research director. My conversation with him in just one minute. First, if you've missed any of our recent reporting at Gotham Gazette, find it all at GothamGazette.com. We've been covering a lot happening in New York City and state politics. And there is, of course, a great deal going on, not only because it's budget season in Albany and in New York City. Actually, there's been a series of city council hearings on Mayor Eric Adams's preliminary budget plan. The city budget season will heat up a lot more once we do get a state budget in the coming weeks, because a lot of uh, the city's budget needs and priorities will be dealt with out of Albany. Uh, but there is a lot happening in New York City and state. Also here on the podcast, I've had a lot of great recent guests. If you missed any or all of those episodes, you can find them at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. In recent weeks, I've had some great conversations with a wide variety of guests, including just to highlight a couple, uh, we've focused on public health and the ongoing battle with COVID-19 with two doctors who were key figures in Mayor Bill de Blasio's administration. Most recently, I had an exit interview with Dr. Dave Chokshi, the outgoing New York City Health Commissioner, who just left his post to make way for Mayor Adams's appointee to the position. Dr. Chokshi had stayed on for a couple of months to help make a smooth transition, especially as the city continues to battle COVID. Uh, talked with Dr. Chokshi about his roughly two-year tenure as New York City Health Commissioner and where the city goes from here in that battle with COVID-19. And also spoke recently with Dr. Jay Varma, who is a top public health advisor to Mayor de Blasio and is an internationally experienced expert on disease prevention and control. Check out those two episodes if you get a chance. Those are really interesting conversations. And then just to highlight a couple other really interesting recent guests, I spoke with Joanne Yu, the executive director of the Asian American Federation, about the disturbing rise in violence and hate crimes against Asian American New Yorkers, what she and her organization and other Asian American leaders in the city want from city government, from state government uh, as a response to that uh, really deeply troubling trend. And then also recently spoke with relatively new city controller, Brad Lander, about his priorities as city controller, his reaction to Mayor Adams's budget, uh, what he's doing in the controller's office to reform contracting processes, how he's going to try to get the city's uh, infrastructure spending under control and get more bang for the buck and much more. Had a bunch of other really good recent conversations. Again, find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Okay, Peter Warren is the research director for the Empire Center for Public Policy, a think tank based in Albany. We're going to talk with Peter today about 
a different vision for New York State based on limited government. Peter, thanks for joining me. Great to be with you, Ben. So you are uh, at the Empire Center presenting something of an alternative vision. Uh, broadly speaking, I, I, I captured you know the mission statement of your organization from what you have on your website. Um, but broadly speaking, how do you think about the work of the Empire Center, especially in this time where we have um, leaders in state government and have for, for a while now, at least the last few years when Democrats have controlled the governor's office and both houses of the state legislature, where you have uh, the powers that be in state government really mostly focused on expanding government, more government services, more government revenue development, more government spending, uh, passing you know lots of, of legislation, uh, some of it uh, you know, bipartisan, so, you know, some of it praised across the aisle, but lots of it, you know, uh, criticized by folks who think this is government going too far. Um, how do you think about and, and describe the role of the Empire Center in this particular atmosphere? Well, I, the, the way we view the Empire Center is our mission is we want to make uh, New York, a, a, we want to make New York a better place to live for New Yorkers. Uh, we want a them to have a reasonable level of taxation. We want New York to be a great place to work and to live. And what we are seeing in New York over the past decade and beyond is people leaving. They're voting with their feet. They're leaving with the state. And we know that New Yorkers are among the most taxed individuals in the United States. We have some of we have the highest individual taxes in the country. We have the highest marginal tax rate for individuals in New York City. We have, um, according to the Tax Foundation, the second worst business tax climate in the country. Um, and again, we've had one and a half million net out migration of over one and a half million people in the past decade, including about a third of a million people just in one year, one recent year during the pandemic. And so these are the, the this is what we believe the state's elected leaders should be focusing on. Um, and we try and draw attention to these issues. We try and draw attention um, to the tax burden. And as you point out, um, in, in, it, it has not been a focus as much as we would like, uh, would be an understatement um, of, of this legislature um, and the governor. Mm -hmm. And when you are thinking about the problems that um, you're identifying, the, the picture that New York is, um, you know, is in many ways sort of struggling uh, to to keep people here. Is struggling with um, not only loss of residence, but you know, loss of sort of economic vitality in, in parts of the state. Are we talking about sort of two different um, two different New Yorks, where we're talking about New York City and and maybe some of its suburbs, and then we're talking about the rest of the state? Is that a fair way to think about it? Because um, you know, some, some of the things, you know, that you said, and some of the things that, that some of your reports, which we'll get into in a minute and, and you know, the, that the empire center is often, um, publishing on, you know, seem like while, while obviously taxes are high in New York city as well, um, that they're sort of outside of New York city, uh, problems to a large degree. Is that accurate, fair, inaccurate? How do you think about the difference between sort of New York city and the rest of the state? Well, there's obviously a lot of differences between New York City and the rest of the state. Unfortunately, a lot of the problems that we're talking about are common to both. So, for instance, um, New York City got hit harder, uh, of course, by the pandemic than 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 upstate. Um, and New York City has um, it has has yet to recoup. Um, has done worse in, ter in terms of recouping jobs, the rate at which it's recouped jobs as upstate. Um, the schools in New York City, the public schools have have lost more students than upstate. 
Um, I think that the cost of living and the tax issues are, I mean, taxes are, as, as I mentioned, higher in New York City in terms of the, the marginal tax rates. Now, obviously, um, New York City's population, and this is largely due to immigration, it's due to immigration that, that New York City's population has held up and, and even grown a bit, whereas the, the population upstate has declined. Um, but there are there are some of the highest earners in New York City. We know there's been overwhelmingly, for instance, the millionaires in New York State are focused in New York City. And there has been an, a net out migration of millionaires from New York each year over at least the past five years. Um, so there there are certainly there's. There's plenty of <laughs> there's plenty of issues in, you know, to talk about with with the state and the city. They're, they're, they're definitely different. And obviously, over a long period of time, upstate um, and, and the big cities upstate have seen um, have significant population decline. There is less um, economic growth and vitality upstate. Um, than there is in New York City. And I think the regulations um, from the state, from Albany, they, do, they, they have a different impact um, in many cases upstate and in the city. Yeah. And I mean, listen, point, you know, point well taken about, um, uh, you know, some of some of the especially the sort of pandemic era uh, challenges in, in New York City or challenges that were accelerated seemingly by the pandemic. Um, obviously, a lot of the, the New York City uh, job loss and, and lack of regaining jobs, you know, is in uh, industries that are, you know, very dependent on tourism. And we'll see if, you know, we'll see how much of that rebounds here if, if hopefully there's, you know, sort of a coming out of, of COVID uh, to a significant degree in the coming coming months. Um, but but as you note, you know, New York City is, is still well below its pre-pandemic job levels. Um, and, and there have been issues with, with job in school enrollment and so forth. And, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about um, education-related policies, which I know uh, you and the Empire Center have, have focused on a little bit. When we talk, uh, before we dig into to more specifics, when we talk big picture here, and we talk about, um, you know, sort of a, a limited government vision, uh, enacting free market principles, personal responsibility, um, what are sort of the, what are sort of the big, policy underpinnings of that scale taxes back significantly, you know, take it, take us through sort of the big sort of uh, goalposts of that vision, just in terms of broad strokes, what it would mean for New York to uh, sort of go in that direction. Sure. And so let's think about this, that we know, as I mentioned, the numbers are clear that people are leaving New York. They have been leaving New York, and there was a recent Zogby poll that showed that 39% of New Yorkers who currently live in New York, of current 39% of current residents, are either have plans to leave or they're considering leaving. And of those 39%, overwhelmingly, the number one reason why they are thinking of leaving is because of high taxes. There's very stark results in the poll. And that cuts across people of different income levels, different education levels, uh, different ideologies. Um, amongst all these subgroups, the number one reason was taxes. So we've known for a long time that people are leaving. We've known for a long time that New York, New Yorkers are amongst the most taxed, if not the most taxed in the country. It's it's but but that, that poll, that recent poll is a new data point that sort of puts the two together. Yes, there is a correlation. One thing is um, appears very much so to be causing the other. Um, and so there's you know, it, it's it's not a question of reducing taxes for the sake of reducing taxes. Um, we are concerned about the level of business investment in the state. Um, again, according to the Tax Foundation, New York has the second worst business tax climate in the country. Um, mm-hmm. And so so these are all things that it's very concerning. And, and one of the we are increasing taxes. And, and this was really last April was was another inflection point in, in last year's budget. 
Um, there was a very significant increase on personal income tax rates of top earners in New York. New York has a very progressive income tax, one of the most, if not the most in the country. And the the top 1% of New Yorkers pays well over 40%. I think we're getting close to 50% of the personal income tax in the state. And the personal income tax is two thirds of state revenue. And as I said, there's already evidence that millionaires and multimillionaires are leaving New York. So what we're doing is we keep raising the rates on them at the same time that we're becoming more dependent. The state is becoming more dependent on them as a source of revenue for all these public services, which again, New York um, has some of the most expensive public services in terms of the public sector, all all across the public sector um, of any state. and, and you're broadly um, part of part of what you see as a too large government. Government overreach extends into uh, regulations, extends into sort of government, uh, you know, sort of over management of industry. Um, yeah. It extends also into into labor, though. Um, there's there's a lot that that the Empire Center writes about and talks about related to. Uh, government, you know, having giving too giving too much away to to labor unions and sort of letting labor unions dictate too much policy that winds up winds up being very expensive for the state. Um, under the the Taylor Law, New York's labor law, um, unions, the public sector unions have tremendous leverage, um, and this is something that we, you know, what you see is. New York has amongst the largest public sectors per capita in the country, um, the the most well compensated public sectors. Uh, and a lot of the 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 laws basically creates uh, a non-level playing field where it's very difficult. It puts it puts management at a disadvantage. Um, when it comes time to negotiate contracts, um, and one of the one of the the biggest issues there is something called the Triborough Amendment, where if you reach an impasse and there's no agreement reached on renewing a contract, then automatically the the um, there, there are certain automatic pay increases, step increases built into the prior contract that just are going to continue regardless or not if there's an agreement. So sort of the status quo works to the benefit of the unions there, and it gives very li- little leverage to management. Um, there's no sort of forcing mechanism there. And, and why is that bad? You know, I mean, so, sometimes, um, uh, you know, we, we can see ineffective government. Uh, we can see wasteful spending. Um, we can see sort of bloated government budgets and and people can look around and say, you know, we're having this conversation uh, in New York City right now uh, around the very basic, you know, uh, issue of, of sanitation and, you know, mm-hmm. and trash getting picked up and sort of just look around and say, this we have a hundred billion dollar city budget and we can't keep the clean you know the, the the streets clean what what's what's going on here but on um you know on some of these issues related to labor and the power of uh, labor unions in New York and obviously New York has historically been a very you know sort of pro labor state what's the problem there I mean what why what, why is it bad why is that a bad thing that you know unions have that leverage in negotiations I mean the the idea behind it is that working people you know get get a leg up in in you know figuring out their uh, the conditions of their workplace and their and their compensation and so forth yeah and unions have plenty of leverage in New York but the flip the flip side of that is again who's paying for it the the with with respect to public sector unions the people on the other side of the table it's not some corporate ceo fat cat it's essentially you know it's it's the citizens of new york who are on the other side of the bargaining table they're not literally sitting there but they're the ones who are footing the bill they're footing the entire bill so to the extent that you have an unbalanced bargaining table and again there there's they're, they're, you know, the protections for unions and the, 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 
the labor law in New York is about as um, they have about as much leverage as anywhere in the country. But you you also want to give the taxpayer a fair shake. Uh, and we all know that politically, um, unions are very powerful, powerful, very influential in New York State. Um, and so we, you know, we we just want to ensure that again the taxpayer is being considered as in the equation. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the state budget. We're we're two weeks away from uh, you know what we expect will be a, a relatively quote unquote on time budget for the start of the new fiscal year. Obviously, uh, you know for the most part nothing nothing uh, terrible is likely to happen if they're late as they have been in in the past at times. Obviously, nobody wants that to drag on for weeks or months. But but we're assuming an on time budget. Uh, this is Governor Kathy Hochul's first though. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But um, take us through sort of some of your critiques about how New York leaders are approaching this particular budget and what should, in your in your opinion, be done differently. Uh, well, I think the important context with this budget is just the remarkable um, surge of revenue that the state has at this moment in time. Um, when you think back to the onset of the pandemic and there there was distress, there was almost panic um, about how much revenue loss the state was gonna be hit by and then how much, you know, w- were, was the federal government gonna step up to help out enough with that revenue loss? There were some pretty significant cuts um, on the table. And my, oh my, how things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, what instead, what happened was the revenue loss turned out to be um, far less than expected for, for a number of reasons. Um, even though there, was, there were 2 million jobs lost in New York State, um, the, a lot of those jobs were lower income jobs. Plus, a lot of the individuals, they were, you know, received federal supplemental uninsurance insurance benefits from the federal government. A lot of them actually got had more or made more income than they did um, in in their pre-existing jobs. But but more to the point, those a lot of the the high earning jobs, uh, those those folks tended to stay employed. It was a very good year for Wall Street. A lot of the New York budget, again, comes from high income individuals. A lot of their income comes from capital gains and bonuses. Um, so you had and then on top of that, you had the the, the personal income tax increases, mm-hmm. which were supposed to be an emergency measure brought on by the pandemic, a temporary emergency. Well, and it turned out they weren't really necessary to balance the budget, but instead they brought in an enormous windfall, much more than was expected when they were enacted in April, plus the federal government stepped up with much far on the high end um, of what was anticipated that the feds, the feds might provide. So you had, it's important to understand that with this budget, you just had an incredible ahistorical situation where for the first time ever, um, by, by the time January rolled around, there, there were no budget gaps in the out years of the financial plan, which had never happened before. Nobody had seen that before. So the big question was, and again, there were these emergency, um, quote unquote, income tax hikes that had been enacted. So the question is, what then is the governor going to do? She's in this mm-hmm. tremendous situation. She's got, um, you know, this, this huge windfall, um, and from our perspective, it was an opportunity to reconsider those tax hikes that no longer seem um, nearly so necessary. And um, instead, she proposed increased spending um, and including some new revenue streams, which, which could be hard to, to fund once the federal money runs out. Um, and then, of course, you have the Assembly and the Senate um, upping the ante um, considerably. So what they're proposing is, is a double-digit increase um, in, in spending from state operating funds, which is the recurring, you know, that, that's, those are the programs, the funding that, um, you know, it, it's, the state has to raise that money every year. The money from the federal government is going to go away. 
Um, the state's going to spend that within the next few years. And some of the programs that the assembly and the Senate are talking about, those are programs that um, those are going to be recurring expenses, um, which are likely to just get larger in the future. Mm-hmm. What are what are a couple of things that are being proposed or being funded that you would see sort of um, on the chopping block? You know, if you if, if you had this ability to sort of influence this policy in the here and now, not talking about huge structural change, but just sort of in a in a budget to budget, you know, management here, you say, um, uh you know, the the additional revenue from the the added uh, income tax surcharge on the on some of the highest earners was no longer needed to to address budget gaps. So roll those back. Are there other things that you would see, um, you know, uh, eliminated? Are there are there certain major programs? Are there you know certain state agencies that you think are extremely bloated that need a real hatchet taken to them? Um, are there are there proposals from the Senate and Assembly that you think should be non-starters, even though they're you know very likely to either get funded or be right there in the final negotiations? Um, I, I mean, I, I think. I think it's important that the legislature gets serious about priorities is is the bottom line, because, again, what we're talking about is the the overall level of spending and taxation in New York state. So I I think the way we look at it is everyone is talking about um, different needs and and there's always you know, there's 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 always going to be unmet needs because needs are always they're bottomless. Right. And. What I think people are missing is probably this from arguably the single biggest need that affects the broadest number of New Yorkers is the need for lower taxes. So how are you going to satisfy that need? And that's the question that's not really being asked. And so, I mean, you can you can kind of debate different different types of spending and what's going to be helpful and what's going to be useful. But it's really, you know, it's that fundamental question that we think needs more focus. Um, uh, understood. And I know I know you personally and I know the Empire Center are not always taking positions on lots of different specific programs, right? Like, I don't know, for example, that you have, you know, you can jump in if you do, but I haven't seen, you know, you take a, a, a stance directly on sort of, adding to the emergency rental assistance program or replenishing the excluded workers fund or some of these big ticket items that are that are the sort of newer programs that are being funded with billions of dollars um, of federal and, and state money. Um, but your point is taken about the larger picture and what is a sort of sustainable level of, of spending. And um, we haven't even gotten to sort of the state's long-term obligations. Um, no, but- and sorry, I'm sorry, the inter- one no, thing I... I'd like to bring up on that point, though, is um, in in terms of long term obligations um, and actually not so long term obligations, (laughs) because there's there's the the pension and retiree health care obligations, which we've tried to highlight as um, there's a reckoning that's coming there. Um, But even in in the near term, when we talk about the American Rescue Plan, um, when I said that there's no um, budget gaps, you know, one thing that 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 does sort of omit is the New York state was, as, as we mentioned, New York state lost 2 million jobs. Um, like basically in that first month or two when the pandemic struck. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we mentioned, New York, unlike a lot of states, New York has not got, has not restored those jobs. Um, and many other states, again, which have different tax regimes, different economic policies, they, they are already back and above those those prior job levels. But because of that um, huge spike in unemployment, um, long story short, New York has an unemployment insurance fund um, that very quickly got tapped out and New York had to turn and borrow $9 billion from the federal government. So again, there, there was, as you know, there is really massive unprecedented federal supplemental insurance payments made to individuals during the pandemic, but also there's the regular state insurance. And that regular state, those regular state insurance payments, there were just so many because the high level of unemployment that, you know, we borrowed $9 billion and now we have to pay that back with interest. And 
while that's the case, employers have to pay essentially penalty rates. Um, they have to pay these penalty payroll on insurance taxes, which is also going to hurt the ability to get new jobs. And again, this is all because of something beyond their control. The pandemic was beyond their control. The policies um, that, you know, the lockdown policies were beyond their control. So this was a direct effect of the pandemic that has not been addressed. And yet we're talking about doing all sorts of things with this federal pandemic relief money that is that is really not this far less mm -hmm. related, if at all, to the pandemic. Um yeah, that's a good point about the unemployment money. Um, we we had that in a in a in a story we did a few weeks ago or or a month oh, or so good. ago. Yeah, no, and it's it's something that's sort of been glossed over a lot, but but there is a there is an important uh, financial reckoning there. Um, so so that's a good point. Thank you. Where where I was going with with what I was saying um, is let let me sort of um, you know sort of poke at a couple of things that you've said. Um, one is. You know, when you said sort of the greatest need for New Yorkers is is to reduce their tax burden, you know, sort of in in um, the context of talking about sort of what you said, you know, there's always there's always lots of need, right? And obviously there there there's there's many needs and and um, you know plenty of uh, services that need to be done, but also plenty of of people who are really struggling and have uh, you know have acute mm -hmm. needs. Um, you know, it strikes me that sort of a lot of what um, is being discussed around using additional revenue for for certain programs, some of the ones I mentioned, uh, and other services is where we're talking about many, many New Yorkers who don't really have a very high tax burden, right? Who are the neediest New Yorkers, you know, where we're, where we're often t talking about, you know, sort of tax burden is, um, you know, as you've gotten at sort of like, what's the, you know, what's the high end or, or, you know, where's the tipping point where taxes are raised on wealthy people who are much more mobile, who will just say, that's it. I've, I, you know, I love living in New York, but you know, the tax burden's too high. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Texas, whatever it might be. We can come back to that. Then there's sort of the middle class, upper middle class folks who might say, you know, similarly, like the taxes in New York are too high and I'm going to, you know, state X, they also have more mobility. Um, but but that's sort of the, the the conversation, you know, often among the powers that be right now, especially in Albany, is about sort of adding to the social safety net um, yeah. uh, and so forth. And so um, that strikes me as as sort of a, a pretty intractable problem and challenge, even among many people who say, yeah, New York spending seems a bit out of control. The taxes seem pretty high on lots of people, mm -hmm. maybe even putting aside sort of billionaires who, you know, if they really want to live in New York can kind of afford those high taxes, but, but people who, you know, are in that, in that middle class. Um, and, and that seems like, you know, a real issue, the real sort of rub of a lot of these conversations. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, just to clarify the question. Mm -hmm. So, so in other words, what what you're saying is the spending is focused on on those in need, and therefore, well, the I mean, the arg I mean, the argument from from especially from Democrats in you know in the state uh -huh. legislature and even the governor, right? Is that is that you know. Uh, yes, the surcharge, yeah. the additional taxes on the on the highest earners didn't wind up being necessary oh. to sort of keep the budget in place. But then there were other needs that could be addressed with yeah. that revenue. And, so let's right. go ahead and spend it. So I really understand your yeah. perspective where you no, no, said. No, I, OK, yeah. so yeah, a few ahead. things on that. Yeah. Um, and, and first, again, there, there's, you know, need needs are are bottomless. They're endless. And a couple of, you know, I do think it's important to scratch beneath the surface in some cases of this when we talk about, you know, who's benefiting from these programs and who, you know, who the beneficiaries are. Um, again, one of the biggest. So if you look at the state budget, what are the biggest things in the state budget? Education, um, health care slash Medicaid, um, state employees, um, state employees. Yeah, I mean those three, right? State, I mean, those state three employees. Are, yeah. Just starting backwards, state employee, and most of the spending that you're talking, we're spending, we're talking about. We're not talking about putting dollars in poor people's pockets. We're talking about generally paying for people who actually administer services, right? 
I mean, 75, well, combination. 70, can I finish 75 to 80% sure. of school budgets are for personnel. They don't go into students' pockets. They don't go into parents' pockets. And I'm not saying that the money isn't intended to help them, but, but I, I do think that there is a distinction there. The idea is these are programs that we think and they're intended to help certain parties. But but to be clear, I mean, because it's an important debate to have. And again, when you look at other states, they take different postures. And I don't think it's because those states necessarily don't want to help people who are indigent. They just have different strategies. And so, for instance, like I said, the public employee part of the budget, I think a lot of people aren't even aware that, you know, state employees get they get benefits that most private sector New Yorkers don't get that they could only dream of retiree health care. Um, they get tremendous, um, tremendously. I mean, New York City, <laughs> New York City is on sort of another level, but they get benefits that regular new, you know, private sector folks working in the private sector do not get in New York. Um, and again, the, the school money goes to it goes largely to personnel. Um, and we have, again, our expenditures are, are extraordinary compared to other states. And so the question is, do we need, you know, can we do things differently? It's not a question of, are we going to help, you know, indigent people? It's a question of like strategies for how to do that, like the earned income tax credit, for instance. Right, right, right. So, no, and listen, and I think the larger and more complicated the government gets and the more powerful the unions get, um, there's so many instances of of spending here, like the bonuses in the budget for healthcare workers, that it's not clear. You know, are those? Are do we have a shortage of people? Are we not going to be able to attract people into the healthcare sector? Most of the individuals on Medicaid in New York are not poor. I don't think most people, most of your listeners, probably aren't aware of that. Most of the individuals on Medicaid in New York are not poor. Medicaid has expanded tremendously. So the the proposal in the one of the biggest proposals in the budget for the legislature, the assembly and the Senate are both pushing is. And again, I'm not going to weigh in whether this is good or bad or a wise use of money, because, you know, maybe it is a wise use and, and we should be spending more on this and less on something else. But it's a child care, the universal child care for families with incomes up to $138,000. So that, that's not indigent. And that's a multi, you know, we're talking about a multi-billion program. And also it's going to have other effects where the, you know, people who are already getting, so the people who are already getting childcare at that income level, they are going to benefit from subsidies. They're not going to get more childcare because they already have childcare, but they're going to pay less from for it. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to benefit for it and they make six figures. So, I, I mean, we could go on and I'm probably talking mm-hmm. too long mm-hmm. at this point. No, no, but, no. But I don't think any, you know, I, I, I think the idea that because I think this is a really important point um, and that it's important that we get past in New York, the idea that, you know, those who think that we can get back, you know, we can tax and spend less. Um, we're just not paying sufficient attention to, you know, indigent individuals because other states are doing it more effectively than we are the states that people are moving to. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm tempted to, to, to discuss um, that a bit more, but I want to I want to try to touch <laughs> on a couple of things. I do think, though, one of the most important things you're hitting on, and this is a conversation, um, not not my not so much my recent conversation with him, but but um, but a little bit in the recent conversation I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, New, New York City controller Brad Lander and I have had on on multiple interviews, is sort of this balance between progressivism, expanding the social safety net, meeting the needs of people who are the neediest, but also. Uh, effectiveness of government reining in, you know, spending that seems to be uh, just going up and up and up without the results. And I think, and I think that's what, you know, that's part of why I'm, I'm pushing on you on that and pushing also on, on sort of people, you know, who argue for bigger government. Uh, you and know, and in, I think yeah. without getting too, cause I know we don't want to get too far off on oh, this, but, but you talked about New York city and probably, you know, one of the best examples I can think of is 
again, students, as you know, there's a massive waiting list for people to get into charter schools in New York City, including in the the most low-income parts of the city. The charter schools in New York City have less money than the traditional public schools. And Frank, and the Catholic schools in New York City, which also have seen an increase, they spend a fraction of what the public schools cost. And yet parents are leaving those public schools in order, the traditional public schools, to go to these schools where there's less spending. So that right there is a refutation of the idea that, well, if we're spending more, then we're doing more Mm -hmm. because the people are voting with their feet and they're saying, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Well, I won't uh, we won't go down the charter school road, but I will mention another (laughs) another recent guest on the show is actually James Merriman, the CEO of the New York City Charter School Center. So I got into a whole lot of that that you just brought up with him. So folks can listen to that episode. uh, And he, you know, sort of gave his take on why people have uh, flocked to charter schools, especially uh, in some of the lowest income areas of the city um, and, and what charter schools are doing. Uh, differently and so forth. Um, there's there's other issues around financing in terms of you know some of the bigger networks obviously raising a lot of private money, um, but uh, but but there's some real questions there about spending and effectiveness, and that's you know that's a lot of what we're talking about here. And as I was saying, you know, talking with Comptroller Lander and others about this this issue of um, how do you uh, deliver, for example, capital projects for less, uh, because that is just this immense problem for New York city that everything is over budget, even already exorbitant initial budget projections go way over budget and they take longer, uh, than they're supposed to. And it's just this massive problem holding the city back among others, uh, as well as the MTA and, and other, uh, parts of, of government that have this problem. So, um, I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of what we're getting at is, um, about accountability, about effectiveness, about actually showing that money that's being spent is getting the desired results. And we have just immense gaps in New York, even in New York City, where we have the mayor's management report and, and some other things. You know, we have these huge gaps in actually sort of setting uh, expectations and targets and then seeing if government meets those. And that's something that, you know, Mayor Adams, uh, to his credit, mm-hmm. has talked a lot about. And we'll see if he can deliver. Uh, but these are these are huge problems. Um, the other thing I need to ask you about is is this question about about wealthy people leaving. Um, mm-hmm. I've 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 looked at a lot of this stuff, um, you know, and I haven't found anything that that shows you know convincing evidence that this is a, a significant problem for New York. What I see a lot of is is what seems to me like very good questions around what's the tipping point, as I was saying before, you know, where do you, where can you really, uh, you know, where can you progressives in, in Albany and New York city really, how far can you really go before you do start really pushing people out? But I don't, I, I haven't seen any real evidence that that's become a problem yet. And even, um, Robert Mujica, the state budget director who, who's warned against these things in the past, said uh, just a couple of months ago when doing a budget presentation that there there hasn't been any evidence, you know, recently that that this is a, a big problem or yeah. any problem. So now, I, I, will, I, listen- I will fully admit, uh, 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 give me one more sec. I'll Sorry. fully admit that last year's changes, uh, adding, you know, those increasing those taxes on the highest earners, it's I. I, I couldn't believe that Mohika said this in January because it feels to me way too soon to be judging what last year's changes did. I don't, you know, but I don't think you can really do that one way or the other. Sorry, go ahead. I think, I think, actually, I think you just said what I was going to say. Okay. Um, I, I don't know that Robert Mohika, I, I, I take him at his literal word, which is what he said is there is no evidence. Uh, and again, the, these, the hikes were enacted um, in April. Of, of 2021. And what he said is we don't have a couple of things. He said, he said, we don't have evidence that those hikes have, have, in, you know, incited more individuals to leave. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that he didn't really say anything. More. I thought he was very careful how he chose his words because then you had a budget hearing actually shortly thereafter where, again, I didn't see a lot of coverage of this in the media, but, but it came out very clearly that the individual from the tax department, they were asked specifically about what Robert Mujica said. And they specifically said that we have no data whatsoever 
for 2021. We're still working on the 2020 data. We have no data with respect to individuals. So, and, and even if there was data, again, it's so it takes some time to pack your bags and to plan to leave. I mean, this was just last, you know, th- th- this was less than a year ago um, that this was enacted. Um, so I, I, I think that's premature. Yeah, we that's premature. Know, we can, like we, I said, every, I, think, there, I hope everyone can pretty much agree on that. Yeah. The comptroller, uh, this isn't just us who are saying this, the yeah. comptroller has also noted that there has been a net out migration. Um, I'm not saying it was massive, but it was consistent um, and looked at five recent years. And in each one of those years, there's enough to be significant. It was like 1% each year. Uh, and again, that's before. That's before these very significant tax hikes that only affected millionaires. So, and that doesn't say anything also about the people who, in terms of like just being an effect on people coming here and the people who, you know, we want people to come here and become millionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want people to come here and and invest here. So, um, and, and again, uh, and, and taking into account what you said, because I'm not going to say that there has been like this, there's a record of this, like there's been this recent vast exodus of, of millionaires, which um, I, w- I wouldn't have expected to, to come about at this point. But again, the, the state budget is, and partly as a result of those April tax increases, getting dangerously dependent on that top one percent of earners, even to the extent that forget about them leaving to the extent that the next economic downturn. And obviously we're we're in a pretty scary situation right now with rampaging inflation, the stock market bouncing around um, that when when you have a bad year on Wall Street um, and an economic downturn, I, I mean, there we are just really hitching our wagon as a state so much to that top 1% that whether it's a question of if they leave or just if they have a bad year, it's, it really um, has tremendous ramifications. All right. We're getting in a lot of good uh, stuff here and a lot of good discussions and, and really, you know, more of, more of these kind of discussions should be happening. Uh, and some of them, as you noted, are, are happening sort of in different ways at, at certain hearings, uh, depending on who's asking the questions and who's answering the questions. Um we're we're getting low on the amount of time I want to keep you. I'm talking here with uh, Peter Warren, who is the research director for the Empire Center uh, for Public Policy, a think tank based in Albany. But Peter, let's let's just touch on a couple more quick things that I wanted to get your perspective on. One is the sort of going back to the economic climate of New York. We've seen under Governor Andrew Cuomo, um, you know, uh, we saw a variety of programs under him to sort of try to revitalize different areas of the state with lots of sort of state-run economic programming, lots of subsidies, the Mm -hmm. regional economic development councils, uh, you know, lots of opportunities for the governor, or if he was sending then Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul to a lot of these things, which she went to, you know, chances to sort of hand out these big checks. Uh, we, We know sort of the politics behind doing that, but underlying this was a certain sort of economic policy. Um, just do you have um, not just a critique of that, but, mm-hmm. you know, do you have thoughts on what the heck New York leadership could do to try to revitalize some of these parts of the state so that it's not just New York City where things are, uh, you know, again, hopefully pandemic recovery, you know, we'll see what happens with that, yeah. but not that it's not just New York City growing and growing and growing and the rest of the state is sort of hemorrhaging economic activity and population. Uh-huh. I think the single most important thing that elected leaders could do is to do less. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that in all seriousness. I, I think if you look at, again, you look at the states that are seeing more economic development, you're seeing them do less and stop trying to pick winners and losers, stop trying to figure out every year who's going to be the next big winner, which industry do we want to come to our state and give them a big tax credit. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's built into the culture of the state. And it, it's very worrisome because really what you want is you want the best thing the government can do is to encourage investment broadly, not try and pick who which the investment is going to be, but just make it because you can't. 
But instead, you make it a friendly instead of being. And that's why, you know, I think Governor Hope on, on some level understands this. And she said she wants to be the most business friendly state. But again, according to the Tax Foundation, we're the second least business friendly state. And, you know, what you really need is is a broadly welcoming environment. The, the way New York seems to operate now is, well, we're going to have such a forbidding tax and regulation climate that you you can't do business here unless we decide we want you to do business here. And then we're going to we're going to create tax credits for you. We're going to do all these sorts of things. We're essentially going to choose sure backdoor it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to choose which industry. And that that is just that is taking on more than the government is capable of. And of course, it's inviting tremendous amount of corruption. Right. Right. Interesting. Uh, last two things you want to, um, the Empire Center has, and I should point people to this, there is a report that you've issued that you authored uh, called Altered State, a checklist for change in New York State. This is the, the sort of Empire Center policy agenda uh, updated uh, just a, a few months ago that has a lot to it. And, and folks should check that out at uh, empirecenter.org. Um, there's a lot of pieces to that, so we're not going to get to all of them, but but a pretty significant one, especially, you know, given how big of a law this was and how much is going on around, you know, how is the state going to uh, combat climate change and shift to renewable energy and so forth. And there's big discussions happening in this very state budget about how to sort of fund some of that. You call for a repeal of the 2019 state climate law, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, this landmark uh, state law. Can you explain a little bit about why you want that repealed and what, if anything, should sort of replace that to push the state towards renewable energy? Well, and and so let's be clear about what the law does. And I think a lot of people don't understand this. So the law sets out um, a number of targets of, you know, to to basically reduce um, so-called fossil fuel emissions um, and to have, um, you know, electricity, all of our electricity produced um, by without fossil fuels. The law, but it's very important what the law doesn't do. The law does not say how that's going to happen, and it doesn't say who's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So the legend, and this is how the legislature often operates here. So you would think that those might be important. There's also no price tag attached to it because New York doesn't have a legislative budget office that scores the cost of things to keep the legislature honest. Um, and tells the public how much something is going to cost. A lot of states have that. The federal government has that. Um, so instead, the there is something called the Climate Action Council created by the law, as well as a bunch of advisory groups, Climate Justice Working Group, adds up to over 100 individuals. Um, one of them was Al Gore Jr., but, you know, just a, a whole, you know, whole panoply of individuals. And they created this massive, um, there's now a draft scoping plan out there, which is available for public comment. And so, again, the question is, and it, so looking at that scoping plan, one thing that is, is clear from it is the scoping plan says we don't know how we could accomplish these goals. Essentially, what they say is they talk about ways to get more alternative energy, but they come up short. There's a gap. And um, which is troubling because you obviously don't want a gap. You don't want the lights to go out. Um, Power, you you know, this is this is the sort of thing that you have these huge questions and nobody has the answer seats, not even the experts on the Climate Council. The Climate Council, how much is this going to cost? The Climate Council actually had an estimate. It was a few hundred billion dollars. So who's going to pay the few hundred billion dollars? How much of it is going to be paid by consumer, you know, utility? Some of it is surely going to be paid by consumers and their utility rates, businesses and the utility rates they pay. Don't think that businesses thinking of coming to New York State aren't looking at this and thinking that's going to be a potentially a massive cost that I don't know if I want to move to New York State to invest in. It creates a massive amount of uncertainty. Um, so, so nobody knows how this is going to happen. Um, and, and they're just sort of stumbling forward. There's kind of, it it almost seems like there's, you know, a lot of people kind of understand that this is kind of dangerous, that we can't afford to be in a place where we shut down all these natural gas source, all, all these existing sources 
when we don't have enough alternative energy because we're just nowhere near long story short and we have an energy expert who can explain this better so there are just these massive um gaps there and so what we think is that the legislature should be forced to basically go back and answer these basic questions like you're passing a law and you're setting out these mandates that your own commission essentially is saying you know can't be achieved without you know, what, basically some stuff needs to be invented. We need to figure out like some things that don't exist and they won't say who's going to pay for it. And the costs are so enormous here. They're just so enormous that you can't, you know, a few hundred billion dollars um, and businesses are terrified about this and consumers, if they understand it, are terrified about it. Um, but again, it's all just kind of stumbling forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that that uh, the heck, that climate action council is put forward that draft plan, and as I said, there's um, you know there's a lot of t- discussion. There's been uh, a push uh, push from certain advocates for a couple of years now that you know that sort of saying similar things to you. They have a different outcome they'd like to see, but they're saying something similar to you, which is that this is not funded, <laughs> and and that, that you know they're raising big questions about the implementation, and then. Uh, there's the whole discussion about Indian Point being shut down and nuclear yes. power, but we won't get into that now. Yeah, um, and I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's obviously another aspect of it that it, it just you know, if it, it's hard to tell sometimes what the goal is here because otherwise, why are they, you know, why are no, why are we not talking about mm-hmm. nuclear? Um, uh, let me go, let you go on this. Um, and, and feel free to, if this is not, you know, really in your, in your sort of, uh, wheelhouse or purview. Um, but I, you know, it occurs to me that obviously there's a lot of overlap between what you're talking about and what, you know, Republicans are running on in New York. So let me ask you a political question. If you want to beg off on that, because I didn't bring you on to talk politics, but, but, you know, it occurs to me that this is obviously, you know, when, uh, we hear from the leading re- Republican gubernatorial candidates in this year's election uh, leading up to the June primary and then the November general election when we hear from uh, state Senate Republicans trying to take back you know the majority in that house or at least reduce the the margin of their deficit to eventually try to take it back you know we hear some similar principles to the things that you're saying some of the s- similar proposals some of the similar criticisms do you have a sense as to uh, why you know those arguments have not been successful recently when they were you know uh, previous to that are, are is there a way in which you know people advocating for more limited government let me put it this way is there a way that that people advocating for more limited government in New York uh, throwing up warning signs about New York overspending overtaxing and so forth? Uh, the demise of, you know, lots of parts of the state's, you know, economics um, and population loss. Is there something you can identify in terms of of the challenges of sort of getting that vision uh, across better to voters? Is there there, uh, ways in which it needs to be articulated differently that you can tell from sort of a political uh, standpoint? Um, Any sort of assessment there? Because we are obviously getting into an election season here. Yeah. And as you point out, we're, we're not really in that business. I would point back again. Um, I thought that Zogby poll was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I say that because, so again, 39% of the New Yorkers polled said that they were thinking, of, that's such a huge number, you know, 39% were, were thinking of leaving the state or making plans to leave the state. And then if you look at the cross tabs, it was very interesting because it, the high taxes were the number one answer, not just you know for Republicans or or for high income individuals. They they were they it was the number one answer among Democrats. It was the number one answer across. Um, I believe it was every income group. If it wasn't, it was virtually every income group. And so it it does. You know, it that made me think that you know if that's what if that's what people are you know are feeling if they really are feeling that you know the 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 tax burden and there is also a pretty high response on overregulation, then you know maybe you know there there it really is a concern. There's a quote you know political audience for that, um, and and they they just you know essentially they they need to be reached. Um, folks need to to speak to them in a way that they're they're hearing. 
Okay, well, we are about to see what that looks like in the election season, but um, we will leave it there with you. Uh, Peter Warren, really appreciate all the time and the thoughts and the discussion. And uh, Peter Warren is the research director at the Empire Center for Public Policy, a think tank based in Albany, uh, focused on New York state government and making New York a better place to live and work and promoting public policy around free market principles and more. Uh, Peter, thanks. Thanks very much for the time. Thanks so much, Ben. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it.